Ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, August 21st. You are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. On this episode of The Cheats Movement, our featured guest is Mike Muse. He is the host of The Mike Muse Show on Sirius XM Insight Radio. He is also the political contributor to Sway in the Morning on XM Shade 45. And he is also a special correspondent for ABC where he talks culture. Mike Muse is our special guest also joining us on the Cheats Movement on WRIR is Samantha Willis, a journalist and co-creator of Unmasking, a wonderful, wonderful series that talks about race relations, and it's been in Richmond, it's also been in Charlottesville, and it'll be going throughout the state. It is a wonderful series called Unmasking. And also joining us today, my good friend from Virginia 2021, Brian Cannon. He will be talking about the special session called by Governor Ralph Northam to talk about redistricting in the Commonwealth. It is a big, big deal. So all of that and more is coming up on the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We are joined, as always, by my co-host, the amazing, the wonderful Gigi Broadway all day. Gigi, how you feeling? Hey. I'm alive, man. I feel good. How you doing? You're alive and feeling good. I feel good, man. I've done a lot. There's been a lot that's been going on since we last touched the people. That's true. You were you were fully recovered. I think you had some you had some <laughs> you had some you were laying low with some health health issues. Oh man, me and the shiitake mushrooms definitely <laughs> didn't get along for about a week and a half, but it's all good. I'm back. It's all good. We've got a lot to talk about, and we will talk about it right after this. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Up first, as always, Dipset. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. It is Tuesday, August 21st. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I am your host, Cheats. We are joined by my co-host, freshly back, healthy, from a fight with mushrooms, an allergic reaction with mushrooms. Gigi Broadway all day. Gigi, what's good? Hey, I'm good, man. My skin back to normal. We're good. So what happens, real quick, just for the people, what happens when you have an allergic reaction that you didn't know you had, right? So something health-wise, you didn't know that you had a mushroom allergy. I right? eat mushrooms all the time, Cheats. All the time. Just not shiitake. But I did read that they may have been underprepared. I okay. had a frozen pizza that wasn't cooked probably all the way it should okay. have been. Okay, so you have a lawsuit coming. Is that that's what's happening? Oh, uh, Newman's, I'm coming for him, man. I'm all prepaid <laughs> <laughs> legal. I've been all I've been all over him, man. Well, I'll tell you what. We have a packed show today. We do not have a lot of time to go into our favorite segment of we see it in culture. We don't see it, but we are going to do one. Okay. This is an Armorosa heavy episode. Uh oh. Because of the guests that we have coming on. Okay. I want to ask you, Armorosa, do we see it or do we not see it? That's hard. That's a hard question. Is it though? Is I mean, it hard? Because I don't see it. No, I don't see it either. Continue on. But I see something. I see her trying to reach and snatch back that black card, trying to get back a little bit of acceptance in the culture. I see her trying. You have to commend her efforts. I think that it is difficult 
However, my challenge with her is that she has been along for the ride for so long mm. that now she's like, oh, y'all, my bad. <laughs> my bad. The president, not only, I mean, she's going full. She's called him a racist. Yeah. She said he's losing his mental faculties. She's called him a sexist. She's accused him. Uh, obviously, now we know what he thinks of her on Twitter. Yeah. But she's gone fully Trump, if you will. She's gone fully Trump on Trump. They're using their own tactics against each other. Yeah. Question for you. When you see all of this and you hear all this that's going on, how serious should we take Omarosa? How serious should we take the allegations of a chaotic White House? Is there anything that we learn that we don't know? Is there anything that we learn that we don't know Absolutely not. It's a circus. It's been one. Um, and it looks like it will continue to be one throughout the whole duration of this this ride. And it's it's like one of those things you have to laugh to keep from crying. Because <laughs> that's, that's what I've been doing. This entire administration. The entire time of the administration. It's sad. So where do you see this going? Particularly with Armors, because she's selling a book, right? Mm-hmm. She's hitting all the news circuits. Hard, yeah. Where do you see this going with Amaros? Like, is it is it working for her? Do you think it's helping? What do you think this is doing for her? I see her book sales going up. But you it's, do? Do you think anyone's going to buy the book? <clears throat> I feel like more people will buy it now than before this whole storm came about. But is it going to be a significant surge running to the bookstores and like, no, no. It's, it's still over for her, honestly. It's over for her. When this book tour ends, that's the that's the question I would have. It was when this book tour ends, what is she left with? Like, cause she can't go back to the Trump wing of the world, if you will, right? No. I don't think you were talking about her getting her black card back, <laughs> but I don't think that there is any like like place for her. Maybe a university or something like that where she could be a professor, but I don't see her being in, embraced culturally. Right? No. Um, and so where does she go? She's a liability no, across the board, no matter where she is. So I think she should just retire <laughs> and <laughs> get her a nice little condo somewhere um, secluded and just try to live out her best days. Well, with that said, I think we both agree that we sort of see yeah. Amorosa you guys tell us what you think. As always, you can email us at thecheatsmovement at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Instagram, cheats underscore MWC. Gigi, where can they find you? Gigi underscore Broadway. Gigi underscore Broadway on Instagram. You can always email us. You can always direct message us. Let us know what you think about what is clearly going to be a story over the next couple weeks. As long as she's dropping tapes. As long as she has tapes on the Trump administration, there's going to be another story and another story. And I can only imagine that the Trump administration is scared beyond belief about what she recorded. She recorded her being fired in the Situation Room, which is, I'm sure, all kinds of security clearance violations. But she got the tape. Out of all rooms, the Situation Room. She she does have the tape. So I think that this is going to be a story that kind of continues on as we go through for further and further one story that is coming up and it's a big deal it just happened today 
is that the governor of Virginia, Governor Ralph Northam, called a special session to deal with, I think, redistricting of 11 House districts in the General Assembly. We're going to talk to my good buddy Brian Cannon from Virginia 2021 about that as we move forward. We'll be back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the line right now on the Cheats Movement on WRIR is a friend of the show, a good buddy, Brian Cannon from Virginia 2021. Uh, It's the only organization that I know about that's really focused on understanding all of the redistricting issues that are facing the Commonwealth. Today was big news. The the governor called a special session, uh, I think, to work on redistricting. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me, man. No, yeah. thank you for doing this. Just quickly, so we kind of understand what's happening with the news and the governor calling a special session. Tell us what's happening and why it's happening. Yeah, it's a bit confusing because it goes back and forth. Governor Northam is calling the General Assembly back on August 30th to have a discussion. That's a next Thursday to have a discussion on on remedying the uh, 11 now uh, court ordered as racially gerrymandered districts for the House of Delegates. Um, These districts in Virginia stretch from our neck of the woods here in Richmond all the way down to Hampton Roads um, and and across the across the James River into onto the south side. And there's 11 districts. They each in total, it'll probably affect 30 districts for the House of Delegates, which is a third of our of our our state legislature's lower house. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. How did this come about? This, did, did this come about through legal challenges saying that these districts were gerrymandered or how, how did all of this start? Yeah, yeah. So uh, in, in 2011, the General Assembly decided when they were redistricting to set a threshold for the percentage of black people you needed in the district. And they set that threshold at 55 percent. Um, and uh, that was kind of a, a racial quota that the General Assembly, uh, that the, the Supreme Court of the United States and now the Eastern District of Virginia has said is uh, racial gerrymandering because they're packing black voters into these districts that has the ultimate effect of diluting their vote. So, yes, yeah, so this has been in the courts for quite a while. We got a ruling in late June. Uh, they gave us they gave Virginia until October 30th to try to fix it. Um, and if the legislature and the governor don't come up with a way to fix it, then they, uh, the court will take it back and the court's going to do it themselves. Uh, the court will hire an expert and, and, and make new districts. So an organization like 2021, what do mm-hmm. you hope happens? Do you hope that the governor and the General Assembly figure it out or do you hope that it actually goes to the legal system? What we really need is we need a constitutional amendment to take this out of the hands of the legislators. Uh, They've proven time and time again, whether it's Democrats in charge or Republicans in charge, that they don't do this very well. In fact, they do it so poorly, the districts get struck down because they're racial gerrymanders now twice in Virginia in this decade in Virginia. So, uh, you know, in the short term, we want districts that actually reflect these communities. So I hope the legislature and the governor can come to an agreement on uh, fair districts that actually reflect those communities instead of reflecting someone's re-election strategy, which is what the districts are usually designed for. And finally, Brian, what does this mean for kind of you and I or just people living in Virginia from those districts that you mentioned? I was looking at the makeup of the General Assembly. Uh, the House is still Republican, but not as overwhelmingly as we'd have thought, right? The last election cycle, Democrats picked up seats in that regard. So what does this mean in regards to what the makeup of maybe the House of Delegates will look like? Yeah, so you're going to you're going to see I don't think anything's going to change before the next 
general assembly session that starts in a couple months in January. I think we're going to be in the same spot uh, with, with the 5149 House of Delegates split. I think these uh, new districts will be drawn and in effect um, for uh, November of 2019. So we'll all have a chance to vote in, in, in probably different districts around here. I think what it means is it's really likely the Democrats take control of the House. Um, I, I, I think it'd be hard. They'd be hard pressed not to uh, as long as the blue wave continues the way it is. But I will say the overall problem with gerrymandering is that it means we have legislators who don't actually represent us. If we did this fairly, they could actually represent us and we could have an honest conversation about all the things that we care about, education, safety, transportation, all the things that we should be talking about, um, not coming back for a special session to redraw maps. Well, we're going to have to end it there. Brian, thank you. Tell everybody where they can follow Virginia 2021. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at 1VA2021. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at 1Virginia2021 and 1 in Virginia all spelled out. And uh, if they want to sign our action form on our website, we'd love the support. Thank you, Brian, for your time. And we will be following this closely on the Cheats Movement, and we'll have you back soon. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Mark. Joining me right now via phone is a good friend. I had to talk to her about what is going on right now in the world because it is a special time. The one and only <laughs> Samantha Willis, journalist hey. and co-creator of the Unmasking series. Really quickly. Hello. Hey, Sam. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Really quickly, because we're going to get into Amorosa. <laughs> this is this is this is Armorosa week for us. So we're going to get into Armorosa, but I do want to ask you about the unmasking series that you've co-created. I know it's been in Richmond, it's been in Charlottesville. I really quickly tell us what is the unmasking series and w- what is it accomplishing throughout the throughout the Commonwealth and beyond? Sure, sure. Well, the unmasking series, um, like you said, it was it started in Richmond in 2016 uh, and in early 2017. Uh, it was a series, really, that was designed to address race and racism in the city of Richmond uh, in a way that uh, really uh, I hadn't seen uh, uh, too many organizations doing. Um, it was based on honest dialogue, people meeting each other where they were, and just having a sit-down, face-to-face talk about why do you feel the way that you feel about race, uh, why do I feel the way that I feel, and then let's look at everything through the lens of historical context. Let's hear from historians, let's hear from community leaders, let's hear from activists, from artists, from all these different people in our community uh, about how race impacted Richmond's history then and how it continues to impact us in the present. And then we can all make decisions together about, you know, how we allow race and racism to impact our future or not. Um, so really, uh, it was an impactful um, uh, learning. Uh, we called it a learning series because it wasn't just talking. You know, people who came to the Unmasking series also learned tools from uh, professional um, diversity experts, people who, who were doing uh, cultural uh, competency training, um, prof- professional mental health counselors, helping us to unpack the trauma that we've uh, encountered um, from racism here in the city and then learn steps on, to take on how we can, you know, really build a more inclusive, a more equitable community for everyone. Uh, so that was in Richmond in 2016 and 2017. Um, and then most recently in June, June 21st to 23rd, we had Unmasking Seaville, which was held in Charlottesville. Uh, my co-creator for that series was Virginia Humanities. Uh, Justin Reed, shout out to Justin Reed, uh, Director of African-American Programs at Virginia Humanities. 
young man doing amazing, amazing work all around the Commonwealth. And uh, he did um, he did talk with us about, um, he did help create Unmasking Seville, rather, I should say. And it was the same thing, you know, designed to take an honest look at the role, uh, the role race plays in, uh, and still plays in Charlottesville. We had some dynamic participants. We had <clears throat> Diana Bryant, who is a student at Charlottesville High School, and she's also an activist. Diana uh, created the petition to take down the Lee Monument and rename uh, Lee Park, which is, you know, Emancipation Park in Charlottesville. And that really was the touchstone of a, a lot of discussion about monuments coming down. Um, this was shortly after Bree Newsom in uh, South Carolina snatched the Confederate flag from the, the grounds of the South Carolina State House. Um, so there was, it was a pivotal time, and Diana right here in uh, Charlottesville helped to galvanize that. And a lot of other dynamic uh, panelists, including Mayor Nakia Walker, who is the first ever uh, African-American woman mayor that Charlottesville has ever had. Uh, so we were honored to have her as well. And uh, the feedback that we've received from the community has been that it's unlike uh, any other series that the, the town has seen, that the city has seen, is led by Charlottesville natives, led by young people, younger voices, uh, because, you know, we, we recognize that it's the young people who are, uh, you know, not only making decisions today, but who will really pilot the city into the future. So um, we are going to continue that work. Um, the next unmasking is slated to take place in the Hampton Roads area. So stay tuned for details on the next Unmasking series. That is very exciting stuff. You're doing tremendous work. I actually attended the Richmond Unmasking, and I thought, and I was on a panel. I forgot. I was on a panel. Oh, you didn't just but attend. I did. Let's, let's, uh, no, no. I felt like I felt like I learned so much that I was much more of yeah. an attendee than. I do yeah, want to bring yeah. it back to Charlottesville because that was this year. Um, we just kind of went past the August 12th anniversary. What was your yeah. read? What was your read of that community in dealing with race? Um, you know, again, recognizing that I'm not from Charlottesville and I don't live there on a daily basis, but I did come to know the community a lot better as I was planning uh, the series uh, over the, the past several months um, and over the past year, really. Um, my read would be that uh, many in the community were just shocked, still very shocked to learn that, wow, this community is like so many in America built on racism. And there are still many people who reside within this community that don't have um, equal access to resources, um, to housing is a big issue there, to, you know, different aspects of uh, full citizenship that uh, white people there have always had and that and that certain communities there have always had. Uh, so it's really a, a shock from a lot of the white people there, the, the type of feeling I'm getting, and a really a lot of um, we've been told y'all attitude from the black people that live there. Um, meaning, you know, we've been saying for generations that this is a problem. We've been saying for generations that black people have been disenfranchised here. We've been saying for generations that there are communities like Vinegar Hill and Charlottesville um, that were, you know, completely eradicated in, in the name of urban development and of um, expansion and of um, these projects that were supposed to um, bring uh, uh, Charlottesville uh, renewed uh, economic prosperity, but, you know, at whose expense? Um, we can compare Vinegar Hill, again, to, to Jackson Ward uh, in Richmond. You know, Jackson Ward was a prosperous black um, community. It's self-sustaining in many ways, full of entrepreneurs, homeowners, business owners, you know, from all uh, facets of life, but they were black and they were they were doing incredible things and, and the state decided to put a, a highway through the heart of Jackson Ward 
and it demolished the community. You know, it really started a slow decline um, in the 1940s on into the 1950s. And we see the same thing happen in, in Vinegar Hill and Charlottesville. So really there was a lot of reckoning. And the, the read that I would have after um, uh, uh, the events of August 12th is that some people in the community were extremely surprised and shocked to see this underbelly of, of nasty racism, bigotry, and intolerance. Other people were not shocked uh, because they they feel that, you know, this is something we've lived with all of our lives that, and all of our parents and, and their parents' lives. Uh, thankfully, you all are now paying attention. And the interesting thing and to, to put a to put a bow on this and then we'll look then we'll get into some real craziness that we want to talk about. But oh, one, yeah. of, one of the things that always strikes me is when these series come, these events, these actual honest dialogues, trying to get the people in the room that need to be in the room is always a challenge. And when I say oh, yeah. that, oh, it's, yeah. it's because, I mean, I attend a lot of dialogues personally, and I attend a lot of events, and you kind of, a lot of times in Richmond, you see the same people, you're preaching to the people that are already in the know. What is, unma- oh, yeah. oh, what yeah. is unmasking doing to bring a new uh, you know, audience to this discussion and have people that really need to be educated, educated. Right. We, we really uh, rely on the community wherein it's uh, unmasking unfolds. First of all, we're not going to come to a community or come to a, a, a setting where the community feels like, you know, they don't want to open up. They don't want to, you know, things are fine. If there's a sense of denial, if there's a, a sense of, you know, not wanting to reckon with um, history in the past, honestly, and openly, then, you know, unmasking is really not the place to, to, to bring um, that type of um, discussion. But um, there was such a, a hunger in Richmond um, to have more open dialogue about race and racism. And in terms of bringing, you know, quote unquote, the other side or, you know, diverse perspectives, right, opposing right. perspectives. <laughs> yeah. Right. And bringing and bringing those other people to the table. We really rely on our community. I mean, we 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 certainly made also another thing that I think we did we made it as accessible as we could to everyone you know these series are free to attend you get a, a, a full dinner if you come to the first night you watch a film um, There, it, it's a full slate of events but all of it is free because we wanted everyone in the community to be able to participate and not have any barriers uh, to taking part and also we, we publicized it online we made it a highly digital experience so Whereas we might not get a, a opposing viewpoints there in the room physically, um, that maybe they're watching on live stream. Maybe they're sending us a, a, a tweet. The voice you are hearing is Samantha Willis. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. And I'm going to ask Samantha, I'm going to ask you this, because this is really the the biggest story in news right now, and definitely yeah. one of the biggest stories in um, the African-American community, urban culture, pop culture, if you will, given all of the relevance. Armorosa. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. What do we make of this? What should we as a society, as a community, as a black community, what do we make of this? Well, yeah, that was going to be my first question. You know, you preface it with what should we? Who is we? I think uh, Omarosa and her actions and her story will mean very different things to different people. I think that, um, you know, there's a, 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 a sense amongst a lot of black people, or at least, you know, the ones that I've been talking to, that, you know, this sister has lost her, her black card. She turned in her, her so to speak, uh, black card. 
um, which all black people are awarded at birth. No, not really, but you know, it's, 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 it's a joke. <laughs> right. we, have, we have inside of our community, we but are she, there. you know, yeah, but she, you know, with some of the disparaging statements, first of all, with her uh, standing with President Trump, um, that was really a, a slap in the face, I think, to a lot of people in, in uh, the black community, just because so many of, of the pres, uh, presidential uh, agenda and so many of the policies coming out of the Trump White House are absolutely detrimental to people of color, not just black people, but, you know, uh, people uh, of color. Uh, many times it looks like it's, it's people who aren't white. These policies are um, and proposed policies are, you know, disproportionately negatively impacting communities of color. Uh, so so for her to, as a woman of color, to stand behind an administration that, that's propagating um, these types of harmful uh, policies, you know, was a, a, a major, major uh, faux pas, I think, for a lot of people. In terms of uh, Omarosa's, you know, fallout with the president, I think anybody with good sense could, could tell that, you know, that wasn't going to last. Her her saying things like, you know, everybody's going to have to bow down to President Trump. You know, I think uh, if the writing was on the wall when you make statements like that. You know, that's, that's probably not going to last too much longer. And she, she joined the long procession or, or succession of, of, of uh, officials who've left the Trump uh, White House. So she, she's definitely not the first, and she won't be the last. No, so. She has, <laughs> but not quite like this, right? Like, not so like this. This is, this is not only am I leaving the house, I'm, I'm trying to burn the house down. And I'm I think trying to burn the house down. The, the tapes... Should should what should we as Americans, not not black Americans, just Americans, what should we be yes. making of the tapes? And because it's it's one thing to say, well, it's Omarosa. She's a reality show person. She's crazy. You know, she had no standing. But she has these receipts that I think right. America has to reckon with sometime or another or not. Right. And, and I think that I mean, I think it would be a mistake to dismiss. Omarosa is just, you know, a reality TV bimbo. Uh, This woman is undoubtedly smart. She's she's undoubtedly a strategist. I don't think she would have gotten to the position that she was in um, with absolutely no experience um, working, you know, on behalf of the African-American community, supposing to be, you know, the outreach uh, director. But that's what what they're saying now, right? That's the conversation. Like, she didn't, she had no job. She had no qualification. This is what is coming from inside the White House, right? (laughs) Yeah, but but that's what I'm saying. She was very um, skilled and uh, must have been very smart to be able to strategize herself into that position. Right. Um, and I think it just, I think it you know only proves um, the, the the disingenuous nature of the, the administration for you know now trying to smear her as you know in a very sexist in my way in my opinion. Oh, this this is a hysterical woman. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's just, you know, this is just a woman that's off the handle. She's crazy. Yet you guys hired her. Yet you hired her and had her representing you all around the world. So I think that, you know, we can't dismiss her as just a reality show puppet. I think, uh, I think Omarosa is a very uh, smart woman. I think that she's used uh, her smarts and her, her ability to strategize in a way that is not ethical, in a way that only serves her and doesn't necessarily serve her community as, as a black woman and certainly doesn't serve the American people. Now, I think something we need to ask ourselves is if Omarosa has this type of evidence, if she uh, thought ahead enough to, you know, make a tape and to be walking around 
secretly somebody on Twitter said she was walking around like Inspector Gadget with just recorders everywhere all over her. Sure. If she's if she's smart enough to, to do that and if she's done that, who else uh, is recording in the White House? Who else has damaging, uh, damning evidence against uh, Trump and, and uh, his administration officials? Where does it lead to next? I think that's what we should focus on more so than the sensationalized tabloid nature of you know, the, the mudslinging that's going to occur between Omarosa, continue to occur between Omarosa and the president and, and the White House. What What's next? You bring up two good points that I really hadn't thought of. The first one is, well, we know Michael Cohen has tapes, right? So Omarosa has yeah. tapes and we know Cohen has tapes. So that's at least two. The, the yeah. other thing that you bring up, which I think might be more um, interesting to, to peel back, is the nature of the attacks and kind of almost like you said like a sexist nature of criticism uh that is, oh yeah that is oh, skewed yeah. towards so as an african-american man i'm often thinking and you hear the question like armorose is out there's no senior level african-americans in in the white house obviously the president has high profile uh women working in his administration whether it's you know sarah hugby sanders or uh, kelly and conway or, or whatever However, mm-hmm. they don't have very many black women. Though I mean, the other one you saw was Katrina Pearson, and clearly there's a there's some rift there between Armas right. and and Miss Pearson. So that's that's mm-hmm. interesting to say. Now, not only do you not have African Americans and high levels, but you don't have any African American women and high levels right. in the White House, and that's that's alarming, shit to say the least. Correct? It's it's alarming, and I think it's indicative of of the the type of uh, policies that this administration uh, is proposing and, and the type of uh, mindset that, that the entire administration is standing behind and built on is, is that, uh, you know, it's, it's a very male-centered, white male-centered ideology, set of ideologies. And uh, I don't necessarily know where Omarosa fit into that. I don't think she did, ex- except as a tool. Uh, to reach a demographic that, um, you know, that the administration at least is trying to pretend like they're trying to reach or care about. Um, but, you know, him, President Trump calling her a, you know, a, a dog, this woman, a, a, a dog. Um, you know, I think that it's it, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not going to be no matter what I think of uh, Omarosa personally, I will never be comfortable with a man and such a, a high position of power talking about a, a woman, any woman, in such degrading fashion, and especially not a black woman. So, yeah, there was definitely, you know, a sexist, um, misogynistic angle to this scandal as it unfolds. Um, but I, I would encourage everyone to stay focused on on the uh, bigger picture and not get lost down in the weeds with the with the sleazy tabloid details. So what does, that's a good point, good point. What does the bigger picture look like? Like, did you just say six months from now? It, what's the story behind, you know, Armorose's exit and her tapes? I, I would say more so focusing on the tapes and what they bring. Uh, is there any consequences six months from now, you think? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I think that, you know, that remains to be seen. I think that we will have to stay vigilant. I think that, you know, Omarosa really wants to sell books right now. So, you know, she's going <laughs> to 
say make the tape seem as enticing as possible. I, I cannot, you know, I can't say it. I don't pretend to be a political strategist right. or, or even commentator. But I, I, I think that, you know, it remains to be seen um, the, the, the gravity of the tapes, whether they mean anything or not. I think that she has certainly gotten President Trump to respond in a way that he hasn't to many of his other detractors and uh, people who are no longer, quote unquote, loyal to him, um, as he says. So it, it makes you think like, wow, he's having a really strong reaction to this. Uh, is there what kind of evidence, what kind of content is on this, these tapes that would cause this, this type of reaction? But My- as far as if they're, yeah, as far as if they're going to be uh, useful in, in, in the long run, I, who, who knows? My guess is that they're completely scared. They have no idea what she has. And they they can't they know that it could be absolutely anything because the president could actually say and do if we've learned throughout the campaign and access Hollywood and things he actually says on the record, he can say anything. And they they just have to the people that are still on the team have to cover this up. So I think that they're extremely, extremely scared is one thing. The other thing, which is probably a little bit more disheartening, is that. I don't know at what point we're in, at what more he can do as the president of the United States to show who he really is that actually has a reaction, right? Right. Like, that, like is is there something that's going to be any breaking point? Like, you know, we've had a lot I of... I mean, do we even, do we need anything more to confirm? <laughs> like, I mean, right. we don't need any further evidence. I, I right. mean, I don't. I don't, anyway. And I think a, a lot of people don't but you know it will will it be the smoking gun to finally prove like look he said the n-word look listen to that he's, I, you know he's I, they, totally you know, racist i just i, I just can't see it but with that said uh, yeah, with yeah. that said samantha <laughs> thank you for the time this is the look this i said earlier this is the first your first time on the show it definitely will not be your last and Thank All the stuff Mark. that you're doing with unmasking is really, really important and critical work. So make sure, where can everybody follow unmasking? They can follow all your wonderful journalism. Where can they kind of just follow you, Samantha? You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Word by Willis. Um, all one word, obviously. Uh, and, and I'm really not on Instagram like that, but I'll, my Facebook page is public. I share I share most of my, uh, my journalism on Facebook and on Twitter. So definitely follow me at Words by Willis. And if you want to learn more about the Unmasking series, the easiest thing to do is search the hashtag. Hashtag Unmasking RVA and then hashtag Unmasking Seville. That's C-V-I-L-L-E. That is fantastic. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We want to thank Samantha and we'll be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Our featured interview is brought to you by 804 RVA. And joining us on the line, on the phone line, he is the host of the Mike Muse Show on Sirius XM, the Insight Channel. He is also the political contributor to Sway in the Morning and a special correspondent for ABC uh, the one and only. He's also happens to be a dear friend of mine. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Mike Muse to the program. Mike, how you doing? Yo, what up, Mark? How are you, man? Uh, this is uh, amazing for me because I've been admirer of yours for a or for a while since since back in the day when we were hitting those uh, hitting those political circuits together. Yeah. So it is a it is a blessing to have you on the show. Uh, I w- man, likewise, man. I'm honored to be on the show. And ironically, I think your listeners should know is that actually you played me. <laughs> 
No. You didn't even want to talk to no, me. I had to keep coming all. up to you like, no, Mark, I'm trying to be your friend. You're no, not gonna, Mark, I want to be your friend. And you're not going like, to do this you now. Kept, you kept playing me to the side. You kept playing me to the side. Not true. So listeners, cheat actually played your boy. Hilarious. Hilarious. Well, look. So thank you for allowing me to come look, on to your show, Mark. There's no, this is ridiculous. Our friendship has evolved. This is ridiculous. Uh, I want to start. Let's let's start with Amorosa, yeah. and yes. I do and I do want to start with Amorosa. Um, what do we make of all of this? Like all of it, what do we make of this? So I've never been so excited for where we are in the climate. <laughs> and I don't know when, and I think political climate that we're in right now, we're gonna be telling our grandkids about like where was where were you when Amorosa dropped the tapes? Where were you when the White House counsel Nixon tweeted the president? who was also under investigation, right? So like, these are just moments that you just are so surreal to us right now. And regarding the Omarosa tape, Mark, is in all seriousness, um, does Omarosa have a credibility problem? Absolutely, right? Do we think that her intentions are misguided when she went into the White House? Absolutely. But what we know is, is very credible are the tapes. The tapes cannot be denied. So no matter what you think about her, the tapes do not lie. Uh, the tapes are what they are and the tapes for the first time have allowed us verifiable proof of the chaotic way that the Trump administration is handling their White House and I say that with intention because we've heard even from the book Fire and Fury you know everything was you know sources say uh, everything was off the record everything was deep record there was no names associated with it a lot of times right now when you read stories in the Washington Post and you read stories in the New York Times everything is always sources say or identified sources and it's really difficult to put someone on the record with a name let alone with an audio so we've always had to speculate in what we knew was the chaos of the White House and what we were thinking about but we never had verifiable proof and I think that's what's getting misunderstood about these Amorosa dynamic is that that for the first time we have verifiable proof by way of audio of just how chaotic this administration is and just how the difficulty this administration has with the truth. You can talk about Katrina Pearson's statement that she made, there was no conference call. She never even could imagine being in conference call. And then the tape got played, right? And so it's just consistently nonstop uh, evidence of them being just untruthful. And so for me, that's what I am most curious about in terms of when do people begin to say the tapes are the tapes and separate Amorosa's character? That's a good question because we, how important for us is Amorosa's credibility, especially in the black community? Because yeah. you know, I'm sorry, I cut you off, Mark. Sorry. No, I'll just I'll, I'll stop there <laughs> because it's so I love that's this topic, the, by the way. That's yeah, the yeah, root like, of the ah, issue, ah, right? <laughs> You know what? I, I, again, I think we're focused on the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think this would be a different conversation if there was no tape, right? There was not one piece of evidence in in her catalog that she had. And now what we're hearing, she has up to 200 tapes. And now we're also hearing that she possibly has videotapes too as well. If Amorosa would have wrote a book that was unsubstantiated, there was no sources, nobody would believe anything that she has to say. So I think now the fact that she has proven herself consistently, what she has on tape is in the book. I think you have to separate the credibility issue and say, she hasn't lied yet regarding these tapes. I think that's what we should focus on. Now, in terms of the black community, how should the black community view Amarosa? I think that's a case-by-case -case basis. 
uh, there is something to be said that what she has brought to light is that there are no African Americans working in the White House since she has left. That was troubling to even begin with. I think that we just weren't really putting it in context in terms of hiring practices of African Americans going in, into the White House due to popular belief there are blacks who are republicans <laughs> so right. there is a pool right. they could have chosen but there was so much chaos and distraction there's always breaking news with this white house every hour that we weren't really paying attention there wasn't an african-american there until she left until she started speaking about it so there is something to be said about well who is advocating for african-americans in the white house who is you know the safeguard and who is you know keeping them unchecked now we all know nobody can really control the president so that's one narrative in terms of this cultural acceptance and, and, and relevance, you know, look, she has stated her reasons why she's been in. She said the reasons why, you know, she wrote this book. Uh, and she has essentially come to a moment where she's regretting her decision of going in, in, into the White House um, as the sole African-American. And so, I don't know, there, there's something to be said about what's left to come. But to me, the most important thing is, is, are the tapes. And this is just the most verifiable proof that we have. What is amazing to me is her presence of self. Yeah. Right? And, and I say that because she knew no one was going to take her seriously. So yeah. she had to have those tapes and she had to have them early. Like the fact that she's so ready for this moment yeah. Yeah. Um, gives me a sense of her understanding of how this administration you know treats people that kind of break away from the the loyalty ranks right yeah and, absolutely and she knew her presence as a tv personality and and, and, a, and obviously a long time uh trump friend and loyalist and she knew what he was gonna do so has yeah. she has she in your mind kind of out trumped trump she has. I think it goes, there's a couple of things you bring up, Mark, and, and a really fantastic question that, you're, that you just framed is now the mere fact that she's been a Trump loyalist and the fact that we now have two individuals who at one point were Trump loyalists, Michael Cohen and Amoroso, who felt the need to, to tape him. I think that says something about who he is as an individual. The second thing is she got her tutelage from President Trump. And so it's been known or widely reported that President Trump has been known to record individuals when he was in the corporate private sector. So I'm sure she picked this up from him too as well. So from that aspect, yes, yeah, she's completely Trump Trump. The other aspect of it, Mark, in terms of knowing herself and her identity, I'm actually curious in terms of how did others see her in that space was she just a presence that was ignored it goes to be said that out of the year that she was working there nobody realized that she was recording them or videotaping them was she just ignored did they not take her as serious was she just you know a token that was in there was she just someone that nobody really cared about did, did they see her as a joke by being in there it just really boggles me that she could walk around this freely and just take people consistently um but I what think, is i know i think the answer is yes to all of this yeah right? <laughs> i really yeah. do i think that you've seen places of business you've seen top political organizations where people are taken seriously um yeah. and i and i just have to imagine that the John Kellys of the world were thinking that this is a reality TV person that Trump put yeah. in for show, mostly yeah. on the campaign to speak to black Americans. Yep. Uh, the the lack of awareness that they chose mm -hmm. Armorosa to speak to African Americans yeah. uh, yeah. makes you makes you wonder. But yeah, I, you bring up you bring <laughs> up another good point that I that I really want to 
um, ask you about because I can't sure. help to think about this conversion that Amorose is having, and I can't help to think about a uh, Katrina Pearson, right, or yeah. a Paris Denard, or a Candace Owens, yeah. or all of these people that are still kind of in this. How, I, I mean, you can't answer this for anyone else, but it's like, how can that be? How can you still be? In a position where you're an African American on national TV, often still singing the defense of, of the president, that's clearly been proven to be that uh, may not hold the black community in their best interest. That's a really great question. Again, that you ask, I think I need to separate Candace Owens um, from that group of dynamic because even when you listen to Candace Owens, it seems like she's looking for a moment. She's looking to be this social media star because you know I actually listen to people from all sides, and sure. I'll go to YouTube clips and I'll hear what people are saying from all sides, and those who are more on the conservative fringes of the Republican Party or Trump supporters, they actually do have nuanced opinions on why they're supporting him. Now, whether or not I agree or disagree, that's neither here nor there, but at least I'm understanding they have an opinion that's based and rooted in some semblance of facts, no matter how they determine what those facts are. When you look at Candace, her opinions is not rooted in any semblance of facts or factual basis it's all for <laughs> clickbait you know what which I mean? is, which is more scary is it which is more so scary. much more scary I, and i'm like oh i get you you're just looking for a moment you're looking to be the milos of the world right you're looking for to get booked on these lectures so you're looking at it from an economic game from you um i don't take her serious whatsoever when it comes to regina pearson i look at it from a, a perspective of a paycheck to be honest with you i i, I she, what was evident was what she was presented on television during the campaign what she has presented on television since his administration goes counterintuitive there was one moment when Armand rosa recorded her when she it was her authentic self and when she said he said it he said it he's embarrassed by it he said it sure. it was as if she had this disdain about it as if she was this oh i cannot believe i'm actually even associated or part of this individual who would say something like this what in all the world right but i felt like i don't know it was an economic situation people are addicted and i think what we're not talking about honestly as a nation mark is that people are addicted to power right when sure. you are on television every day you get hair and makeup right you're in the green rooms you're probably getting town car service at different networks different platforms there is a certain type of power and ego that's being fed that i think she has become victim of but there was a moment of clarity in that and i know on social media in the black community we have this thing is who can come to the barbecue for that alone i'm a rose can come to the barbecue for me because of the <laughs> fact that she actually providing evidence like that is the first time that we saw Katrina Pearson being so transparent in who she is and her disgust uh based upon her tone you know sure. she didn't say she disgusted but based upon her tone it was a tone of disgust and so from that perspective now from the other individuals that you mentioned I, I really can't say much about them but those two Katrina Pearson and Candace Owens I definitely think Candace is looking for a moment. I think Patrice Pearson is enjoying fame, right? And enjoying the notoriety. And I think people are willing to do whatever it takes to stay there. Sure. And, and I think that goes across the pop culture spectrum. That goes to music, that goes to sports. Like when you see these individuals who, who lose that notoriety, what they try to do to get it back, right? Sure. They make a lot of questionable sure. decisions in order to get back in that, spot, that, that, that spotlight. So. You know, fame is a hell of a drug, right? And sure, and, and so is celebrity. And I mean, obviously, yeah. there mm -hmm. is no way we were even in this moment if yeah. President Trump isn't a celebrity before he runs. So we know exactly. That. 
Yep. And that's one of the reasons why you always hear Oprah's name mentioned, right? It's yep. just that familiarity, name recognition, free media and celebrity. And, I mean, we can go back. Ronald Reagan yep. and other celebrity, uh-huh. yep. Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I do mm-hmm. think that uh, there's just this kind of American obsession with celebrity that might be, you know, that that served us okay up until, look, 2016 <laughs> mm-hmm. in some ways. Absolutely, yeah. I, yep. I will... Let's put a bow on it this way, because I don't know if I'll go as far as you, uh, my good friend, in saying that she's invited to the cookout. <laughs> but, bro, but no, I can't. Mark, I don't Mark, think I can. Mark, I don't think how, I can. she is going to be the one who could I, possibly be to give us so much evidence of the truth and exactly what the White House there is, is not a, thinking, but saying. There is who, a great Mark? piece. There's a great piece who? on uh, ESPN. The undefeated There's a great piece that mm-hmm. says, "I will not bash her. I will accept it, but I don't know. Look, I don't know if I'm going to support her in this particular. This is what. I, this is what I'll. I'll Mark, put- I'm so disappointed in you right now. <laughs> How could you not appreciate her her strategy and tactics of literally putting the president? Well, well we haven't heard the president. Well, we have heard the president. Right. No, the president. She attacked her is directly. putting him on audio with the truth for the first time everything else they've said this doesn't matter this, because they've been they've been lies this is what i think about it and, and how can you not the, how can you not give her like a hot dog or a hamburger off the grill bro I this is what i think about it when it comes to um kind of this whole thing it's it's go back with me and Armand's to the 90s and we're talking about the steroid era in baseball and jose canseco mm-hmm. in the book right yeah mm-hmm. and so it's like uh obviously you Jose Canseco was complicit. Jose Canseco was a participant in this. Jose Canseco. Uh, But his book pulled the lid on the entire steroid era, right? Mm -hmm. And the one thing we can't say about Canseco at that point is, well, he's a liar, right? We can't say that. We can say a bunch of things about how he went along with it, how he's a part of it, how he got his research, but we can't say he's a liar. Mm -hmm. And so that's how kind of I feel about the whole Armorosa thing right now. Right, like the tapes prove that she's not lying. Uh, at the same time, I still have a really weird uh, thing about how you know about her obviously participation, her encouragement of getting to this point. And I'm yeah. glad, I'm glad she came. I'm glad she had a you know let's take her to the water moment. I'm glad that happened. <laughs> I still don't know if I can take her to the cookout with that, right? I think you guys are looking at this. And I say you guys like all black people, right? <laughs> right. I think, <laughs> right. I think you, you black people and America are looking at this metrics all wrong. I right. think the focus is her, her credibility, and, and her being culpable in, in this. Absolutely. But she has giving us the tapes. And, and I think and, that and I think is the, the long, part like, that, can, we, that, we need, right. that we need to celebrate the tapes, not and, celebrate and I think her. We, and I want the record to reflect. I'm not defending Amrosa. I think I might right, be coming right. up now at this point as a vinegar. I am not no, no, no. the character of Amorosa. I'm and not I think, anything of what she is. And I, but the like tapes, I said, bro. No, and I think we go back to saying we're all happy that baseball is cleaned up, right? Or cleaning up. Right? Like, yeah. we're happy that we have a cleaner game now. I hope, yeah. hopefully, we will have, you know, more progress going forward that will lead to, you know, to a road that exposes some of the hypocrisy, some of the lies, some of the, you know what I mean? Like, that, yeah. but at the same time, this is, this is a, troubling moment for i think our country right in all of this like it's yeah. there's not particularly just this but like it's just some troubling climate that we're in that we're gonna have to as a 
as a society figure out how we're going to work out of this stuff. Okay, Bart, I want I want the record. I'm glad we're recording this. I'm glad <laughs> it's evidence-based. I just want the record to reflect that, Mark, when it all goes down, and it's really going to go down. I want to know your thoughts on Amorosa when she turns over all those tapes um, look. And, and, and it becomes responsible to possibly cause President Trump to have either A, a serious meltdown, or B, charge brought up, or C, just counters everything that he said wrong. I want to know that, where that invitation is. Look, I might be, I might be right there with you. But that point, look, I'm already. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to put it out there. I just want to put it out there. I'm, I'm already, in. I'm already <laughs> with the result. Like I'm already for the the, the good things that are going to come out of this and the exposure and the you know sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? So I'm for yeah. that. Um, yeah. I'm just. You know, I'm working my way through it. Everything's good. Well, well maybe, but maybe we can say the tapes are invited to the barbecue. Oh, absolutely. That oh, okay. we're we're, okay. we're playing okay. the tapes at the barbecue. At least you, the, the tapes are there. I'm the letting her the come sal- as my plus like, one. But <laughs> the tapes are at the soundtrack of the barbecue. <laughs> Let's switch. I'm like, I was hoping she would drop the mixtape today. But I look at these like mixtape releases. Right. I was hoping she would drop the mixtape today. I'm like, yo, we're in need of another tape, bro. Let's like, switch, we need another thing. Let's switch gears a little bit in the sense of something that I know really near and dear to you which is culture and, and movies yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know we have been uh, I would say and when I say the we I use kind of a divert. like if we're looking at the diversity landscape climate wise over what's happening in Hollywood what's happening with movies um, mm-hmm. I think we're in a really interesting and I would say positive place in regards to films that are depicting different ways of life, television shows that are predicting yeah. urban culture, diverse communities. Mm-hmm. Um, two things, three movies that stand out right now to me, and I'll let you take any of these in any which way. Uh, Spike Lee has a, a film out, Black Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boots Rally released his film. Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, Cr- Crazy Rich Asians has been yeah. uh, something that's just been widespread. You you followed Hollywood for a long time. You followed movies for a long time. We're kind of post Get Out. We're post Black Panther, uh, but we've got these new movies on the horizon. What does this mean for the industry? What does this mean for the culture? What does this mean for for fans of cinema? I'm excited, man. I'm excited because finally, well, one we're seeing that films that have people color to color as main characters and as the main storyline are actually economically viable with crazy rich Asians killing the box office weekend coming in at what $21 million this weekend. And so there's something missing that. So now we can put the economic debate to bed, right? Like people of color and films that have uh, people of color narratives in it are successful at the box office and not just with exclusively audiences of color, but audiences across the board because Finally, and I've been talking about this for so long, we have to recognize that Black stories, Hispanic stories, um, Asian stories, those are all American stories because we're all Americans. And so these are all general storylines that people can relate to at its core because we all have that. I used to use an example, Mark, in terms of um, you look at uh, Bridesmaids, right? And I look at Bridesmaids and, and I always compare that to um, uh, girl, uh, girl, Girl's Trip. 
um, the movie that came out about the four black females that went and did a trip to Essence. Sure. There's no difference. When you look at bridesmaids, they're just out to have a good time. They're out getting drunk. They're having fun, right? There's no difference than what black people want to do. Go out, get drunk, have fun, party, sure. right? Like, it's all the same thing, right? When you go to Vegas, when you see a bridesmaid, it's no different than what you see in Las Vegas right now, right? And so that, to me, is a human connection the human connection uh, of us is that we all have same experiences we all want to have fun right and these are all american stories and american tales and so we all should be supporting the films when it comes to films like black Klansmen, i think that's a fantastic movie because it shows this very complex difficult sense of subject matter and approaches it from a great historical perspective it has spikes interesting visual cues that he's known for and as well as it has a little bit of levite with comedy into it right and so it almost makes the subject matter and the experience in the movie just a little bit more palatable in ways that you may not be able to control your emotions as you're watching it but then you look at a movie like sorry to bother you which is also like this artsy art house dynamic and movie that really goes to the idea of code switching and corporate code switching and what blacks and asians hispanics have to go through in terms of switching and in, in private versus our public conversation those are things that we talk about at the barbecues you know quite often but then to show like rich crazy asians is these asians living this incredible lavish life but really, when you pull the layers back, it's a human interest story that we all can relate to in some aspect and capacity of it. And so I think what this is proving is that audiences want to see films with people of color that are different, that are wide ranging, that that, that goes across the spectrum and, and that shows different plots and, and, and narrative that could be funny. It could be serious. It could be educational. It could be, you know, educational. Right. So it's just all these different things. I think that Hollywood now is finally recognizing to allow and not only for them to allow but for us to feel empowered ourselves to greenlight our own films right and to show that this can be done because with crazy crazy rich asian they actually had a choice to either go to netflix or to go to wide you know do a wide um, um theatrical release oh wow so that's even empowering to know that these individuals had a choice in the matter and i think that's where we are now is that normally we have choices but we have other options other platforms and so i think that's what's exciting times for us right now if you're just joining us, the voice you're hearing is Mike Muse. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We've got to wrap this up quickly, Mike. Tell everybody about the Mike Muse Show and where they can hear you on all your other outlets. Yo, you can hear me on the Mike Muse Show every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sirius XM, the Inside Channel. That's Channel 121. Uh, hit me up this way in the morning every Mondays and Wednesdays from 8 to noon. And most importantly, hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at I am Mike Muse. That's M U S N S A M E. And subscribe to my YouTube page so you can catch up on all the previous episodes that you missed. Can't believe y'all missed all those episodes, man. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, we're still celebrating Mike Muse's birthday. Birthday. It's been Facts. probably weeks and weeks of celebration now. Facts. But Mike, it is an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for that, brother. Thank, Thank you. you for coming. This is the Thank Cheats. You. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. As always, please make sure you follow the cheatsmovement.com. We need to thank 804 RVA. Make sure you follow GG Broadway on Instagram. Make sure you follow uh, me on Instagram, which is cheats underscore MWC. Man, we'll be back again. Until next time, Richmond, we see it. <laughs>